goodbye for another episode of First Strike. But before we start the show, give a little love to our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. I'm so hyped to be back in this chair talking with these gentlemen. Uh, There's been some comments from the nation, from some of our uh, listeners, viewers, that uh, the shows felt a little inconsistent because we've had co-hosts switch in and out due to, you know, having a baby, having to move to Seattle. And uh, me starting the show with guests has made it seem um, like it's hard to tell who the co-hosts are, having Andy and Derek come in a bit later. But we're going to have them to start the show. Uh, It it is easier to have guests ahead of time just because we can sort out audio issues and stuff like that pre-show. But uh, we're going to start off with the main crew, our season two main crew, both featured in our sweet new first strike banner, how's it going, guys? How's it going, Andy? Oh, it's great. It's a it's a good time to be alive. We're Tuesday people now. <laughs> Tuesday, and Derek just disappeared when I was about to shout him out. I'm going to give a quick shout out to Vinu, my colleague. Uh, while he comes back, Derek comes back. He decided to just put a bag on my desk today. Took a peek in it. It was this Vegas <laughs> Golden Knights uh, shirt. So shout out to him. Thanks a lot for uh, supporting and. Anyone's rooting for me and, and the Vegas Knights to win. Of course, it's not a big deal if they don't win. Uh, has a lot of action, so I'm not going to be a wreck because uh, Rob, Rob Anderson mentioned that you know, he, he, as much as he would like to see me win, he would also want to see how disappointed someone could be. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen, even if I was <laughs> Derek shocked. How's it going, Derek? Things are going good. I just really wanted to cl- shut my window real quick. I. Uh... Didn't know how much uh, you'd be able to hear of the road beside me, but yeah, things are good. Had a had a kind of rough weekend, but we're back at it, you know, doing school stuff and listening to Rob rip into you. <laughs> Such a savage. <laughs> we we've got a great show ahead of us. Hopefully, we we've got a- Andrew Tenjum lined up. Um, hopefully, we can get him on, and we got Brian Jemba and. TG Alberta legend, I guess, uh, to come on for some fun times. Uh, but before that, we'll go straight to some modern, some online PTQ stuff that Andy played. There was a lot of demand among the nation to get uh, because we've been hyping it for at least two weeks. Uh, Devin Giles uh, Turbo Vizier deck. We're really hyped. He's been slicing the competition going X1 and bet or better in his last couple, like handful of tournaments. And not just like local FNMs, some some pretty big time tournaments. And Andy decided to pilot it. I was really hyped to see how he would do. So Andy, give us the lowdown Turbo Vizier in your hands. Turbo Vizier in my hands. Uh, so sideboarding with the deck is something you should figure out before the before the tournament starts. Uh, so it was it was a weird one to sideboard with because all all your cards are just combo pieces. You have like a couple flex slots in your main deck like the the Renegade Rallier, and like you could trim on some post-mortem lunges or some of the Lightning Greaves, but at the same time, you don't want to trim on that stuff because that's what makes your deck so explosive. So I found sideboarding for me to be a little bit hard, but uh, I, I won two to PTQ. I played against humans twice. I slaughtered it the first time through Meddling Mage, killed on turn three, killed on turn four. And then I played against humans again, and I missed my third land drop for the turn three kill both both times, I think. Or, no, so I missed uh, my land to kill on turn four through a metal image, and then the next game I kept a two lander, a one lander that uh, didn't have 
green in it because it had the entire combo in it, and it was a turn three kill if I scry a green to the top or draw a green. So I I went for it, and I didn't get there. But I thought it was still a good keep. And then the other match I lost to, uh, I think it was Jeskai or Jund. It was Jund, I think. They just uh, had a lot of removal, and I never really got off the ground with a couple mulligans. But I still stand by the, stand by the deck's power level. I think uh, I will respect uh, the difficulty of sequencing with the deck a lot more. And I'm still, I still think it's very good and I'm still going to work on it because I've, I've seen it beat the matchups that I'm the most afraid of. But with uh, Jeskai ticking up in popularity a lot, maybe it's time to set it down for a bit. Oh. But at the same time, Humans is, is like the top dog. And that matchup is almost as good as it gets. So what do you do in that spot? It is modern, so metagaming is kind of pointless sometimes. So I'll probably just keep playing the deck. It's a good deck. I, I'm disappointed uh, that you lost to humans twice because I was going to. I didn't have the time. I was going to clip the make a clip from the last show. Still going to do that. And the clip has you going humans. That's a buy. <laughs> and now it's like okay, maybe it's not a buy. Well, one of the losses. It was like there was. Fought like five different things that swung exactly the wrong way for me to lose. Like, so they played Athalia, which usually isn't good, but it was good in this spot. They meddling maged the right card, and they uh, freebootered me the turn after meddling mage, and also got like one of my combo pieces. So, if and like if I drew a land, I was still killing them on turn four, but I just didn't draw the land. So it was like everything went just wrong enough for me to lose which it can happen. Humans is super powerful, super fast, and disruptive deck, and it disrupted uh, just enough for me to, to stay off balance, and they killed me. But you, th- you think moving forward, with humans still being a top dog, I think it's, it's a good choice to, to practice with if you've got a modern tournament coming up. Um, you also played a, a few PPTQs, uh, Andy? What format were, the, were those? Uh, they were both standard, and I... I top I top forward one and then I lost in the finals of the other. Just playing like uh, black red the the Mull Drifter list or the the Cory Bowmeister list with like the two carries of the two Kenras and two of basically everything the two Hazrets uh, that list. So that's the list that I played in both of those and the list felt very very strong and uh, just a couple of bad breaks. I played against Godfrey's Gift in the top in the finals of the first one. And I have four braids and uh, scavenger grounds in my main deck, and I just missed. So <laughs> that deck, that deck really punishes you when you miss, and that's exactly what it did. Did, did you take anything uh, away from our last episode? Um, did you have Bowmat couriers in, in the sideboard? Did these lists play them? Uh, I'm I main decked four Bowmat couriers. Uh, basically, I decided that uh, in the mirror, the the list that I was playing had. Uh, a lot of already had Hazrets and stuff for like to trump in the mirror because Hazret is like this, this just one of the biggest trumps you could possibly play in the mirror because there's a lot of removal going around and you can't kill it without a soul scar mage and some lists don't even play soul scar mage and so I decided that I'll play the Bowmats just to have the better edge against control and uh, they also play out well with Hazret having uh, cheap creatures so. Hmm. Moving forward, is this, what do you think, you recommend this particular uh, list? Uh, if I was playing in the Pro Tour this weekend, 
I would be playing this list, yes. Okay. Derek, have you just jammed some standard between uh, having to go to GPDC? Uh, yeah. Uh, I queued up, uh, there's a blue-black mid-range deck that I think Pascal um, 5 would with recently, and it's been showing up on and off. Um, so I wanted to try that out, and I 4-1'd with it and 3-2'd with it, and I won my first match before we started the podcast. Um, I'm feeling confident with the deck. It's just I need I need to find a good place for it, see where it really needs to work in the metagame. Like uh, like Andy said, if if he was playing the PT this weekend, he'd be playing Black Red. And with uh, quite a few people that I've talked to at DC, like on their way to the PT, they're also at that same place playing playing Red or playing Black Red and trying to tune it to sort of be at mid range, be at aggro, maybe even be a control version. Um, so right now, I'd probably steer away from Black Red personally, although I do believe that the deck is powerful and I do expect it to show up in. In levels at the PT, there'll probably be like three or four different versions of the deck, um, different iterations by different pro, pro teams. And yeah, if it's either Black Red that's probably going to win the PT or something that's really good against Black Red and friends, um, in my opinion. So, no, no shot of uh, Green Black Snake. It would be a surprise <laughs> to you. Um, recently, so the, the trophy leader on Motor right now is Jeff Cunningham, a Moto grinder from Vancouver, if I remember correctly, one of the old school guys. He uh, he, eight would the mocks or seven won the mocks last weekend with Green Black Snake, and then put out a, a um, sideboard guide with deck list on Twitter, and even said that he feels it's favorite against Black Red. And every person I have talked to said that he's probably insane for saying that, and I agree. I don't understand how Black Red or Green Black can really fit in the Black Red metagame. Like, as somebody who plays Magic all day long, standard when I'm not in school, like. I can't break that matchup. Um, I don't really know how he's doing it, but maybe I just don't entirely comprehend what's going on. Um, that being said, like green black will show up at the PT. People are always bringing random deck lists. I remember at the Almanquette PT, there's somebody who played uh, mono black with bone picker. And he was the only person playing four in his entire constructed deck in, in the entire PT. And he was on a team. Um, so like crazy things always happen. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, actually say that the deck's not going to show up, but I wouldn't bet on it if I was a betting man. So, so his Twitter, um, we're going to have Kyle link this, is at WJC83. I mean, you can just Google search Jeff Cunningham Twitter. Uh, is there any particular things that he was doing with his list that was different from yours? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but off the top of my head, he, uh, he had an Ethersphere Harvester. He had two Merfolk Branch Walker. I think he was down on uh, Glinstein Siphoner, which was something that was suggested to me at um, GP Toronto after I played somebody in the mirror and they didn't have any uh, Glinstein Siphoners, but they had uh, Merfolk Branch Walker instead. It just it makes it better against um, Chain Whirler decks, and it still hits you those land drops that you need. It also pressures against uh, control decks, and is a reasonable body if you have a snake on board. Um, that being said, if your opponent goes uh, the one-two with prowess into chain whirler, it still just kind of wrecks your board. And you definitely have to have a very proactive sideboard plan. Like I look at his four fatal push in the board, three shaper sanctuary, two nissa, three lifecrafters bestiary, and either sphere harvester and two duress. That is like four fatal push is such a hedge against the aggro decks. Or the mirror, right? And then you have Shaper Sanctuaries. Those are definitely for the Black Red deck and the other heavy removal deck. So to me, 
if you're if you're bringing in seven to ten cards against a matchup, maybe you just shouldn't be uh, like considering playing this deck if you're playing against that matchup so much. You know, like normally I would bring in between five and eight cards if it's a bad matchup. Between like seven, ten, maybe even twelve if if you're on the play. Like I don't really know um, if like if that game plan is a good idea personally. Um, once again, maybe I just don't understand what's going on. He has nine or ten more trophies than I do currently. But, yeah, just something to think about going forward. Hmm. Um, it, what's the new, for, for you, what's the best black-red approach? I mean, we, we uh, when we were in GP Toronto, we talked about how, like, people thought black-red was good, and then at the GP it was won by someone who figured out that people were playing black-red, so let's have this black-red tech. Is there a next next level uh heading into the pt um i think it's just learning the deck playing it tight and understanding matchups maybe you should be playing um what's the phoenix in the main or cards that are better against spot removal uh like chandra maybe a couple cards uh not there people are really cutting on brass's contempt which is one of the reasons why i went tried back blue black um if you, if you have resilient threats so it makes it so when you do flood your cards actually last longer and your resources are worth more, you probably can edge out the mirror and other control decks. Um, I assume that's where people will be going and they won't be trying to go super aggro. Uh, it's just generally that's how the magic metagame flows. Like you start with aggro decks. Like we had a couple weeks with black red and now we're moving towards mid range decks. Heck, maybe we'll even see uh, control decks with an on graph in the main or like, something like four Chandra's or four Chandra to Karn, right? Like something absolutely ridiculous, but it'll break open the metagame because they picked the, the deck of the weekend. Um, that like, I, I just assume that that's where it's always headed is more mid range or more control. So probably more Phoenixes, more Chandra's planeswalkers, more efficient removal. Uh, Andy, do you, do you agree? That's, that's the best approach. Uh, yeah. So typically, he's he's right. Decks start low to the ground, and then eventually, to beat the low to the ground deck, you start being, playing better card quality and bigger cards, and then you start beating on the little guy. And that's just like the natural progression of how mid range decks are born often. And I think the the big mirror breaker to me is Hazaret, and I could see even upping the count is because if you don't have Soul Scar Mage, you are cold. You're just a, cold to Hazaret, and it's gonna just attack. And there's so much removal in the matchup that it's so hard. It's so easy to just have Hazard be the last thing around and then kill them with it. So if you notice the most successful players like uh, Sandy dog, MTG and uh, aggro players are playing ha- like two Hazrets and four Phoenix. So like they're pressuring everyone's removal and then playing this card that doesn't die to removal. And that's the biggest mirror trumper to me. And the, the whole reason I think the deck has to play Soul Scar Mage is because otherwise you're you're actually just game one cold to Hazard. I shout out to Brian Drayling. Hopefully, I got your uh, last name correct. I was going to start. Uh, I thought it was too early to just say what happened at, at the beginning of the show, um, but uh, we, we can we can do this. Like we can do it now because we have a GP to talk about. You know, we, we have a whole GP to talk about. We had someone, a special, uh, very special co-host of ours went to the GP and, and heart, had his heart completely broken. So, Derek, I ask, what happened? 
Do you want the the long story or the short story, KYT? We'll we'll take uh we'll take the easy short story so that uh, we're gonna plug Andrew Tenjim right after your story to to get some feel good from the winner himself. All right. Um, so we we drove down to the Grand Prix. Me, David Rude, and Gabe Sang on Friday. Uh, I played on Saturday. I probably put too much trust in one of my teammates, and oh. I think I think <laughs> no no so not weird. not. No, this is Saturday. This is not Gabe or D-Rude. Um, and I think we misbuilt our Saturday decks. We went 2-3, and it was garbage. Uh, D-Rude asked me if I wanted to play the PTQ on Sunday. I was pretty reluctant. I didn't really want to play Magic anymore. But I did. We ended up going 5-0-1 in the PTQ. Uh, one, like, drew in the top four. Won the semis. And had to team draft for the finals. And I've team drafted maybe five times in my entire life. And normally I can pick my seat pretty well, understand the colors and do all that stuff. But in team draft, you have to cut and hook and not get cut and not get hooked. And I drafted a pretty bad deck and I went 0-2 in 10 minutes. And I watched Gabe pull a win out of his... I can't swear on this channel, but oh, it was insane. And Deard had this insane deck and we just... Ran pretty bad in game three and lost to some really good players from the States who also were old school players that knew Dave DeRude and Gabe from back in the day. And, you know, losing a PT game finals is not easy. Like I lost one a couple months ago and this is the second one. And people keep telling me, you know what, you're going to make it eventually and all this stuff. And it's just like, uh, but that's magic. And, now I get to tell this sweet story on this segment that KYT made up last week to dig into me called What Happened, where, where I complain about how bad I run. But anyways, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm sort of happy, though. You somehow, like, you lost in the main event, but then you, you fell into the, the dream team setup that I had. You, Dave Rude... Gabe Sang, that's that's the KYT dream team, and you almost got there. It, it was it was almost surreal uh, sitting down and we build our decks, and I'm like, wow, these decks are good, but I don't know if they're they're undefeated good. And then I went undefeated in Swiss, and I think Dave lost one match in Swiss, and Gabe won two matches in Swiss, and it just like everything just fell together perfectly. I felt almost unbeatable uh, until the finals. It it like it was insane. Um, you, you hear people talk about runs and like that was an insane run like I <laughs> Gabe's only been playing for two months but he's he's still like one of the best Magic players I've ever played with in Limited specifically and, and D-Root's only been playing for six months and it's the exact same thing right like you know you know when you're getting outplayed in Magic you know that feeling where it's like wow like I'm getting crushed right now it felt that way, but for my opponents, <laughs> you know, like the two guys on my team were just outplaying like my opponents all day. And I just like had to sit back and watch the slaughter. And it was, it was pretty sweet. It was, it was really, really sweet. Except for the losing part. <laughs> was there any like bickering between them? Like some key disagreements or anything people can take away? Like, what did you learn from the, from limited format that people t- could take away or any um, evil D root versus Gabe Sang stuff? No, they, they they agreed for the most part. Like they, Gabe is very really likes white in this format and wanted the white deck. Uh, I think the white deck was the worst one that we had in the Swiss, um, and he had the worst record. But 
he, he really pulled to that archetype. Um, we didn't really argue about plays. There was one time when an opponent ran a 4-3 black creature into um, a 3-2, the, the white knight with first strike, and they had one card in hand, and we sat there for a second, and Gabe's like, I don't want to block. And Gabe's like, what could he possibly have? And if you're not blocking, what are you doing? And Gabe's like, oh yeah, that's right, I should probably just block. And it turned out that the opponent just forgot that the creature was a 3-2 with first strike. And like, if, if we just take that four damage, like, I don't think we lose, but like, it was, it was interesting to have them like say that beside me, you know, like, it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, did, did you learn anything from the limited format? Like if there's one key thing that you could take away? Um, one key thing I could take away from the limited format, it is as slow as people say it is. Um, I was never on the draw and I had a very slow deck. Um, but if, if you have, like I had maybe three or four bombs in my deck, and they won me probably every single game I played, as long as I could play my game to get to that point, and I could, I could win the game. So I played a Tatiova, I had a Helm of the Host, um, I had the Fight Dinosaur. There's a couple games where I put Helm of the Host on Tatiova, and my opponent, I just ran my opponent out of removal earlier in the game by presenting threats and leveraging my, my early creatures, and eventually I just out-card advantaged them with my two bomb cards. Obviously, like, those two cards are really, really good in this format, but at the same time, like if it was a, a barracks or um, some other random mythic bomb, like I could have been in a very similar position. Um, so yeah, just just keep 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 that in mind. Um, was there any debate? That's a good question. Then was there any debate as to whether you should actually draw in the format if it's so slow? So I'm very anti drawing and limited. Um, although it's important to have card advantage and like obviously mulliganing like lowers your win percentage. You can still lose to a good curve. Part of the reason why you want to play constructed or aggro and constructed is because you invalidate your opponent's controls cards before they get a chance to use them. Same thing is unlimited, but it's amplified so much more in the fact that like if your cards matter so much and you're and you die before you get to play them, it doesn't matter how good your deck is if your opponent goes two drop, three drop, four drop. That can still happen in this format. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why Gabe likes the white deck so much because it happens a lot in that in that deck, and people are just uh, not ready for it. Is one of the like drawing in this format. I think is people are going too deep. They don't exactly understand how how to play limited in general. So that's my take on it. Like D Root and, and Gabe saying concur with with all of that. Uh, I know Gabe says he hates drawing in this format. Uh, I think D Root said that it's very dependent on the deck and obviously the matchup. Um, like if, if you're, if you have a Tatiova in your deck and your opponent has a Tatiova in their deck, it might be correct to draw. Obviously you won't know that until game two, but um, yeah, usually I would just play. Right. Hopefully we've got my man, Andrew Tenjum in the house. Oh, how's it going? Andrew, super excited. Good. How's it going? All right. Congratulations. And uh, I'm going to have to say that when I first heard your name, this guy's name, it, it was a while ago. And I can't really pinpoint exactly when, but I'm sure I've played one of your funky deck lists over the years. And many different archetypes. When, when I Google you, there's just many different archetypes that you've had success with. 
uh, not only by winning the GP at the GP level, uh, you've done it by crushing a bunch of SCGs. Uh, I'm seeing like blue, green Eldrazi. I'm seeing Grixis Control that, that I wanted to, to have you come on uh, the first time when you top aided uh, GP Memphis. You've had Golgari Devotion. You have, you've had many, many different decks, uh, Andrew. So I, I'm really excited to have you on. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. Um, so are you... Did you brew all these decks I've talked about over the years? Are you like known as a as a huge deck brewer? Yeah, I've I've always been primarily a constructed player. Um, and yeah, I've I've always been the the brewing uh, guy for all the groups I've worked with. Um, yeah, most of those decks I've honestly kind of just brewed up. Of course, a few of them are pretty similar to like stock lists, but um, yeah, that's one of the my favorite parts about Magic. Just. Uh, looking at the available card pool, especially a new standard format specifically, and just experimenting until I find something I really like. So what, is limited part of, your, uh, part of your game, or is it a weaker part, lesser known part, underrated? Um, so I've never... I, so back when I uh, used to play a lot on the SCG Tour, I basically played zero limited because every SCG event was constructed. Um, but then uh, a few years ago, I moved to Madison, Wisconsin for school. And Madison, um, for th- those of you who don't know, is one of the most respected limited communities uh, possibly in the entire world. Um, tons of great uh, limited players from Madison. There's a deep history there. Um, so I would like join uh, just casual eight-man house drafts with some of like the best limited players in the world. Um, so I got a lot better at that. Um, and it became especially important when I started grinding Grand Prix and qualifying for a few pro tours because limited is obviously an integral part of, of those events. Um, so I slowly got better. Uh, I still think I'm a lot better constructed, but um, yeah, we, we ran hot in the GP yesterday and uh, yeah, <laughs> that worked out. I, I just found, I just found the deck now. Now, now I remember the, the one that I net deck from you the most. And I, let me know if it was one of your most known ones during your run. It's your Abzan aggro lists. Where you played four Windmate Rock, now it's coming uh, to my four Anafenza, four Fleece Main, four, four Death Dealer, four Siege Rhinos. I think you you had a killer run with, with that particular archetype. Yeah, I that was one of the most memorable uh, parts of my Magic career, actually. Uh, so it's not like a insanely innovative list. Obviously, it just plays a lot of the good Abzan cards. And uh, I think uh, before that PTQ season, uh, Mike Sigrist uh, top aided Pro Tour Konzatark here, I think, uh, with like a kind of similar list. But um, I made a lot of changes that I think made the deck really good. And I went on a I went on a huge run that PTQ season. Uh, it's funny because I top aided I think like five or six PTQs, losing in like three finals. Um, and I just, and I was so sad. And then I realized at the very end of the season, I wasn't qualified for the Pro Tour, but I saw that there was one last PTQ on Magic Online that qualified for this Pro Tour. It was like four weeks before the Pro Tour, so it was crazy late. So I was like, all right, one last chance, let's join it. So I joined it, and somehow I just, I ended up winning the entire thing. And then I, that's, uh, that's, that was actually my first uh, Pro Tour I qualified for, uh, Pro Tour Dragons at Tarkir. Um, and then from there, I uh, I hit silver that season because I uh, I went X five at that pro tour, and that's kind of where I started my uh, transition from the SCG tour to uh, Grand Prix and the pro circuit and trying to hit a pro level and, and stuff like that. Uh, 
So to to make sure, did you qualify online with Abzan Aggro or in another deck? Yep, it was Abzan Aggro, yeah. <laughs> oh, so, so it has to be your favorite deck of all time. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I went on a sick run with that deck, and it uh, it got me to my first Pro Tour, which that was just a great feeling. <laughs> I have a lot of memories with, with, with this uh, archetype as well. Uh, Derek, you just heard, like, Andrew, a lot of heartbreaks, losing lots of finals. He eventually gets there. He's now a GP champion. So... Must be motivating uh, for you. Uh, Andrew, if you didn't know, Derek had just lost uh, at GP uh, DC. The PTQ got second. So uh, yeah, I, did, I did see that on Twitter. Yeah, that's uh, I know the feeling, man. I've I've lost uh, I've lost like three or four PTQ finals. It is the worst feeling in the world, but you'll get there. Trust me. I've been there. <laughs> Derek, your reactions are, are, are priceless. Um, Andrew, what was your... Uh, are these the two people that you usually team with? What was the prep like for, for this limited format? Oh, no. This is a crazy story, too. But, <laughs> um, so uh, so you, refer- you referenced GP Memphis. That was back in February. Um, so after I made the top eight, uh, I got home, and I see my inbox, and I see that Wizards sent me um, you know, my request for my travel accommodations, and they, were du- they gave me like four weeks from GP Memphis, which was back in February. So I kind of had to just lock in what I was, my plans were. So I decided to just uh, have my plane ticket booked directly to D.C. And just, I would find teammates later. No big deal. <laughs> with my terrible planning, fast forward until a week ago, <laughs> I, I had a plane ticket to D.C. I did not have any teammates. So I went on Twitter and I tweeted that I am looking for a team because I have this plane ticket to D.C. because I'm going to the Pro Tour in Richmond anyway. And I didn't have any teammates. Uh, so that, uh, that led to me teaming up with uh, Petter Sokarik. Um, for those of you who don't, who don't know Petter, um, since he's not, uh, not as known in the American um, you know, community, but he's, uh, he's a gold pro from the Czech Republic, and he's very talented. Um, but anyway, so it was us two teaming up. Uh, then uh, Dan Jessup messaged me on Twitter saying that uh, he... Uh, he was looking for a team, so we side team with him. Then, like three days before uh, G- GPDC, something came up at work with Dan. So we lost our third, <laughs> and we're just scrambling for a third. But then uh, Dan was able to hook us up with his buddy Peter Ingram. Um, so this randomly makeshift Twitter and friends made team just came out of nowhere. Um, and it's really funny, uh, right before the event, uh, like right before the player meeting, uh, Martin Yusa tweeted out that an unnamed Czech pro doesn't know what his teammates look like. <laughs> and that was very clearly referencing our team because neither, uh, neither Peter Ingram nor I had met uh, Petter at all. The first time we met is just sitting down at the player meeting. When we, that's where we introduced ourselves. Um, and yeah, the tournament just went really well from there. We had zero chemistry. (laughs) (laughs) Zero chemistry. Wow. I love it. Yeah. We like barely talked to each other at all. We, we, we probably exchanged just like five Facebook messages, uh, just making sure that we're all registered. And that is the extent of, of us meeting each other before the event. (laughs) What? Like mind blown. Like how are the decks even built? How is this even possible? I don't know. We just opened our pool and we just discussed uh, what the best way to build this is, and the decks got built. And 
Yeah, it, it was crazy just working with someone, you know, for not not that you've never teamed with before, that you've not even met before. <laughs> and Who's taking the lead between you three? Um, it was it was a sh- yeah, it was shared uh, fairly equally. Um, when in doubt, uh, we yielded to Petter because he's the most accomplished. He's he's won a couple GPs, uh, so. We dis we definitely disagreed with a lot of things early on, but um, we kind of just trusted each other, um, especially Patrick. So heading into the draft, was there any like words of wisdom shared amongst each other? <laughs> no, not not really, to be honest. Uh, like especially because uh, none of us have really like team drafted lunch because. For those of you who don't know, like team drafting is a very different dynamic than just a normal draft. Um, like even when you just do like a team side draft with uh, people, usually you do teams after, which is just more like a individual draft. But when you have teams of four, it's it's very different because uh, hate drafting is is a very relevant part, and it's it's even more important than a normal draft to know what colors your uh, the person to your right and left are in because you really don't want to be passing them good cards um so yeah but really we just kind of winged it it was crazy <laughs> i i andy i don't really know what to say i yes. were completely shocked <laughs> yeah this story is a uh, pretty gas this is a pretty ludicrous thing to uh, to happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, i don't think any of us believe that it even happened <laughs> i i don't even believe this actually happened uh you built the team from scratch and uh, in people consider a team uh, GPs won more skill intensive formats and you end up taking home the trophy. Um, you said you disagreed uh, at the very beginning. Was there anything that, that you thought um, was one way, but then you changed your mind uh, by the end of the event, uh, Andrew? No, not really, honestly. Um, so I, I can cite two specific examples of cards that uh, me and Peter Ingram uh, liked, but Petter uh, was really low on. Um, those two cards are Syncopates and uh, Caligo Skin Witch. Um, we, uh, me and Peter both uh, agreed that the format is really slow, so like Syncopate is just a really um, efficient counterspell for expensive cards, especially the, uh, cards with Kicker. And then for the same reason, I think Skin Witch is really good because it, it's either discarding their big expensive bombs or lands, extra lands, which are relevant because there's so many kicker cards in this format. Um, but I think Petter's impression of the format was that it was a little faster and we didn't really have time to uh, mess around with like slower cards like those cards. Um, and I, we never really came into agreement by the end of the tournament, but uh, he just didn't play with those cards. Uh, we... We didn't really start them in our deck because Petter didn't want us to, but I'm sure we boarded them in quite a few times <laughs> throughout the tournament. <laughs> so probably still end up disagreeing. Yeah, I, th- I think we just agreed to disagree, but it still worked out somehow. <laughs> Very um, likely story. <laughs> so so as, a, as a new king of, uh, of last-minute uh, <laughs> crushing, what were the plans for the PT? Do you have a team? What's going on? How's your prep going? Yeah, I'm actually at a, at a hotel in Richmond right now. Uh, so right after D.C., we drove to Richmond, and I'm testing with some guys from Team Card Hoarder. Uh, I'm not on their, like, Pro Tour team because I wasn't qualified for any of the Pro Tours pri- uh, prior to this. Um, but yeah, we've just been actually just jamming all day since then. We're going to be continue jamming all day until the Pro Tour. 
Um, what was your what's is there a preferred way of testing for you? Like, are you just comfortable with drafts, so you're going to focus more because you're a GP champ now and focus more <laughs> constructed, or are you trying to crack the the red black aggro format? What, what's uh, what's your plan of attack? Uh, for me, and this goes for not only pro tours but all tournaments. Um, I just I just jam on moto just infinite leagues just over and over and over again and a lot of times if i if i like a deck i just jam that same deck until i'm just uh, until i master it that's that's how i prefer to do things i know a lot of people like pick a deck they play a league they they go like three two or whatever and then they pick a new deck i don't think that's as constructive because you're not getting a very large sample size um so even if i'm sacrificing some equity by uh by not trying other decks i think that just Increasing volume on a couple decks is more useful uh, and just uh, picking the one you like most from those couple decks rather than playing one league with 10 different decks, which I just don't think is very helpful at all. Um, my last question well, well, for me while we have you on, uh, Andrew, uh, are you, I've seen some pros like they've actually decided to like make different moto accounts just so that they, their deck lists don't get looked up. Are you making that sort of uh, precaution? Yeah, I, I am one of those guys. Even when I <laughs> honestly, even when I test for like smaller events like an SCG Open, I I still play on uh, many accounts. So it actually started back in uh, I I'm I'm sure the Moto Grinders remember this area where if you got like I forgot how many QPs was it maybe it was 35 QPs you got a Force of Will promo, but you can only get one one per account. But back then I was grinding a ton of Moto, so I made like, I think it was like seven or eight different accounts to get seven or eight force of wills because they were worth a lot at the time. Um, and then once I started like be- becoming more known as a brewer and um, brewing sweet decks, I just used those extra accounts that I had already had made to test decks because uh, for those of you who don't know, my main moto account is just my last name, Tenjum. Um, so it's, so everyone, everyone knows when they're playing against me. Um, so I started uh, playing on uh, different accounts just to conceal my identity um, when I'm testing uh, more off the wall decks. Um, I mean, I think it's smart that that, that yeah. you guys are doing that. Um, any any questions from you, Andy? Uh, so the, it's not really a question; it's just a note. All I can think in this this picture won't leave my head is like you guys stand up for your GP trophy photo. You're like, oh yeah, we won. It's like, all right, see you guys at the pro tour, and you just walk away. <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually completely what happened. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, that my car mates who were uh, driving us to Richmond were like kind of getting restless because they didn't expect that we we were going to be there that late because we made the finals. Uh, so yeah, we just like took the picture and then we're like, yeah, got to go. Uh, see you at the pro tour. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> and we still don't know each other very well. Uh, all we just we, obviously we played all the matches together, but other than that, we didn't even really talk between rounds and stuff. We kind of hung out with our own individual groups and then. Every time pairings were posted, we went to our seats and played. Because <laughs> kind of I don't even like them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? Any plans? Actually, any plans to play a future team event together? Um. So the <laughs> no. the whole team series thing is really confusing, honestly, and the new pro structure. Like I, a lot of people who even in the loop uh, don't really know how it works. But to my knowledge, if Petter's uh, Team Series team is in the top 16 teams after Pro Tour Dominaria this weekend. Um, he is locked into teaming with his teammates for uh, Pro Tour 25th anniversary. In which case, that would put me and Peter Ingram into a pool, um, in which case we can select any teammates that we want out of that pool 
to play with it that Pro Tour 25th anniversary. Um, so we, we wouldn't even be able to team with each other anyway, um, because there's a certain hierarchy as, uh, as to who you are obligated to team with at that Pro Tour. Um, uh, I think I'm kind of disappointed. We want to see this fairy tale uh, continue. Derek, Derek, any uh, questions for Andrew? No, uh, just like a couple comments. Uh, the, the Moto thing, yeah, it was 35 QPs. And I'm probably pretty stupid for not making multiple accounts. I only had one account when that <laughs> happened. And I was like, oh, yeah, these four schools, can't believe they're like 80 tickets. Yeah. If only we could get more than one. Yeah. Everybody else had it figured out but me, I guess. So <laughs> whatever. That's great. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's pretty sick. And uh, yeah, I get it's kind of insane. Like your top four other teams were really good. Like Oliver two went back to back and who'd you guys be in the finals? Like, Oh uh, yeah. Eric Froelich, Ben Stark and Paula Vitor. The top tables at that tournament on day two were absolutely ridiculous. Just every round, just stone ringers. Yeah. I, I, think, I think at one point I was the, well, in the top four, I was the only player who was not gold or higher. Um, I think at one point in the tournament, like at the top, like three or four tables, I was the only player who was not cold or higher. <laughs> yeah, I remember walking around waiting for uh, the PTQ rounds to start and just looking at all the players in day two. It's like, yeah, well, I guess like the PT's next week and it's an hour drive away. So all the pros are going to be here. And then like Ben Stark is watching uh, our PTQ finals because the guy that two of the guys that beat us are from Florida. And we're just like, like what? Who won the GPs? Ben, did you win the GP? No, we lost. Who won the GP? Like, <laughs> it was, yeah, it's actually insane. It truly was a fairy tale story. I we were uh, I, we were pretty much outmatched, and admittedly outmatched in skill, pretty much every round for the last like five rounds of Swiss and in the t- in the, the top four. Um, but I don't know. We uh, I think we drafted well and we played well. Um, yeah, and we got there. Yeah, sounds sounds like it. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Andrew, I think uh, you were way better on the show than uh, you probably thought you would be. <laughs> Amazing story. Super happy to get you on. Um, people, I know you're a busy man. I don't know how active you are on uh, your Twitters, but where can people find you or, or chat with you if they wanted to? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you feel free to tweet at me. Uh, my Twitter is just my name, at Andrew Tentrum. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm really open to communication. Uh, I yeah, I always answer. I can answer any questions that people ask. So I'm really open to that. What will that question before I say bye? Will LeBron James win a single game? I uh, I think because he is LeBron James, he will win a single game. <laughs> I, uh, uh, War, Warriors in five. Warriors in five. That's my prediction. All right, hot take, hot take. Thanks okay. for coming on, Andrew. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Andrew. Tenjum, GP Washington, D.C. champion. Wow, I, I didn't even know that story. I completely missed it on Twitter. Uh, did you catch wind of this? Yeah, I, I heard about it. On the way back, um, we, yeah, like we were playing the PTQ, so we didn't really know what was going on. On the way back, they're like, D-Root's like, who won the, who won the, the GP? And uh, he looked it up on Twitter. He's like, oh, yeah, Team Twitter won. Everybody's calling them Team Twitter. It's like, what, what a name to have. And, I didn't know that they had no idea who each other were. I knew that they met on Twitter, but that's just absolutely insane. Can you imagine doing that? Like, what, what, if, what if Edgar didn't know 
Goldfarb and uh, Jacob, and they just win a Grand Prix. Like that, that would be even even more. Ins- I don't know. I'm blown away. See, my mind just drags to like the social situations, the awkwardness involved. Like, do you hug? Do you hug each other when you make top four? You don't even know this guy. <laughs> you just, hey, like, thanks for playing well job. today, man. <laughs> nice job, nice job, sir. Oh, is it Petter Peter? <laughs> Go team! Wee! <laughs> That's just too great. <laughs> awkward questions too on the top eight, uh, like fill out the form. Like, so how did you guys meet? You know. Yeah, that's it's <laughs> yeah, all blank. How did you guys meet? Uh, we didn't really meet. What's your guys' favorite part about each other? Uh, just nothing. Imagine, <laughs> imagine being uh, just kind of sucks. Imagine being the guy with the the work commitment who like accidentally didn't get to win a Grand Prix. <laughs> like, oh yeah, last minute we got uh, we got this other guy, and oh, don't worry, I'll get you guys a third. It's like, imagine just like. You you missed out winning on Grand Prix because you had to situationally just randomly had to work all of a sudden. That'd, that'd be so tilting. <laughs> we now introduce uh, first string intern Brian Jemba to the show. Hi, uh, famous in, in Alberta. He he used to be underrated under the radar when blogs were just coming out, articles where, where t- Twitter wasn't huge. But now, uh, even with his like small amount of fame we would agree that he is currently overrated right right brian very overrated right people think i'm good at magic just because i've been around for a long time and i i used to be pretty like a pretty hardcore gp grinder but i just suck i'm just so bad (laughs) overrated 100 but i think i think uh since i started mana deprived um eight years ago i think you're one of the most entertaining uh People have been around, including that includes Jay Bush. Ooh, and you. we've we've known each other since forever, and I, I've always wanted you to be on on a show. You're highly opinionated, so I think so. It's a, it's about time. It's about time to get you on this show. Yeah, man. So let's start with one of the topics you brought to the table. <laughs> sure. uh, on, and I'm sure I'm sure Andy and Derek will have a take. On taxi backsies being allowed, essentially allowed at competitive REL events. Yeah, like they're, yeah, like so at, so I was at GP Toronto a couple weeks ago, and one of my teammates, he, so I was playing Legacy, he was playing Tron in the middle seat, and what happened is he had, um, he was going to crack his Oblivion Stone uh, that turn, because he had to deal with his opponent's stuff, and, but he wanted to play his star out, his chromatic star, so that he could just draw a card, and he he didn't really need the mana, right? So he just wanted to draw a card and just get a free card draw. But um, instead of playing a chromatic star, he accidentally played a um, expedition map, right? So he played an expedition map, just kind of tanked a little bit, and said, "Oh, actually, I'm not going to play that expedition map. I'm going to play this chromatic star, right?" So then, of course, a judge was called, and then the judge came over. The judge said, "No, nope, you are playing that expedition map." Then I leaned over and said, you should appeal that. We appealed it. And then the head judge came over and said, yeah, you can take the backs. You just like, just whatever. If you just screwed up, just play the other one. So like, is that new? I don't know. Like, I feel like way back in the day, like he, the head judge would have not ruled that way. He would have just ruled you, you played the map, get wrecked, right? So I don't know. I, I feel Andy like quick to the trigger because uh, Team Geist Geist Bros, the the man with all the experience, let let, let us have all of it. So, so I have a a couple questions about it. Did he say what he was casting? 
so he did say he did say expedition map and then said oh wait this should be a chromatic star see that so that is totally fine because you're allowed to take back your decision until a point where it like really affects the board or maybe your opponent could respond um, yeah yeah or your opponent like it depends if you think you, they gained information from your opponent and right. judges really take that into consideration of like, did uh, the not active player gain it or did the active player gain advantage by like seeing that the opponent said nothing about the map. Like if he's tapped out and there's nothing going on. Yeah. yeah. At that point, you're just like a dexterity air slash. You're still thinking about it. Like you haven't progressed the game past the point where you can take that back. And it is something that has sort of changed in magic. I feel like it's sort of changed because sometimes before you would get that spot, but I think judges are trying to find more player-friendly reasons, uh, player-friendly answers to these kind of questions. And in this spot in particular, it's that the player B could not gain any advantage or player A could not gain any advantage from it. So there's no harm in letting him continue his decision-making and play the other card. Right. And that's what the judges think. And the other thing that happens, I've seen it happen before, is like you'll play a card, but you'll physically play the wrong card. And that's a dexterity error. And if you like, if I say, all right, I'm going to cast a lightning bolt and I tap a forest and play a Llanowar Elf, I don't have to play that Llanowar Elf because I said I was casting a different spell and I could just be like, oops, sorry, I, I played the literal wrong card in my hand. And if it's a dexterity error, it's once again just like, a physical thing. It wasn't what you were meant to do. So those are the two situations I think that you are allowed takes these backseas at competitive events. Yeah. What about like rewinding? Like rewinding beyond the like if well I guess rewinding happens all the time when when triggers are missed or or when stuff like that happens and that's kind of the same. I mean, in the same kind of vein as a not like like how. I mean, another thing that happened, I played the, so at the GP, me and my team scrubbed out, we all suck, but at the, uh, on the PTQ the next day, um, my, one of my teammates got rewound a full turn, um, where, um, he was supposed to attack with a juggernaut and didn't attack with a juggernaut and that sort of thing, right? So, like, I mean, I feel like judges these days are becoming, like you said, like, they, they want, they want, like, just a more kind of friendly experience, right? They want what, what should have happened to actually happen, right? So, I don't know. Yeah, but I feel like judges are being, I feel like they're being more lenient with that kind of stuff these days. Well, they're, they're given the freedom to uh, stray from the rules. So, the right. rules say that, like, if both players missed it, like, it's too late. But the judges are allowed to use their discretion now to, cha- to change rules if they feel like it'll still, like, maintain the sanctity of, of a game. So, for the example of rewinding a juggernaut, the judge obviously assessed the situation and feels that they can rewind without like changing the the game that much. Like it sucks that you can't just be like, all right, whatever you attacked last turn, what would what would you have done? Like the simplest answer. But rewinding actually doesn't cost as much as it sounds like it does. Because it doesn't change much almost ever. Just okay. let's let's the game be the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. That's legit. Brian, when I first First, oh, go ahead, Derek. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, so rewind things are, are very specific. So this weekend we played in the Grand Prix and uh, an opponent played hap- haphazard bombardment, the six-mana red enchantment. They named four permanents, and one of them was um, a Flight of Fancy, I think it's called. 
the one that gives plus one plus one in flying. Can't remember what it's called. Arcane flight. Yeah. And so they rolled. They killed the the hexproof creature that the aura was on, and we moved to my partner's main phase. I'm like, can I read the card? It says non enchantment card. So I called the judge. They rewound back to when they named choices for bombardment and re-rolled. And they missed the hexproof creature this time. And it worked out really high in our favor because we won next into the next two turns because we attacked with a, a five, six hexproof flying creature. And like our, our opponent was obviously agitated because that cost them the game. And if they just don't make that error, and if we noticed it like i didn't know what the card did that's why i read it later and that's when i called the judge if like if there's like if i called the judge the moment when he named the aura it would have been different right but because they had to re-roll the entire like the game changed we ended up losing the match anyways but like it was just really weird and i think like when it comes to mix misclicks like playing the wrong one-man artifact in your hand the rules currently say that it's a dexterity error and there's a little bit of leeway, but I also think people should get punished for these mistakes. Like as much as it was uh, your partner's fault for making that uh, error, it's not your opponent's fault. If, if your opponent makes, if your partner makes that error, same thing on moto. Like if, if I misclick and tap one green mana and play a Llanowar elf instead of one red mana and bolt, the Llanowar elf resolves. <laughs> it doesn't matter if I meant to play bolt. It doesn't matter if I type in chat, I'm playing a bull right now and you're going to die or I meant to play chromatic star and I played expedition map, you know, it's, it's just like something like it's sloppy play. And I think sloppy play should have some amount of punishment towards it. Also, if my opponent acts like misses an aura and they have to reroll, I don't think they should have to reroll. It just happened to work out in our favor. You know, like if I was on the other side of that, I'd be extremely tilted, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's kind of ridiculous that that happened. Um, and I think to some extent, like making leeway for the rules is fine, but you, you can't, you can't have like corner cases um, and having leeway makes, makes like a blurred line for the rules. So people who don't actually understand the rules to such an extent, all of a sudden don't entirely understand how the rules work in competitive formats and casual formats and, and all these things, right. It just gets really confusing for most players. Um, so I kind of hate that the rules are like that now, but whatever like i'm playing magic the gathering <laughs> if if there's no advantage to be gained i i think rewind like rewinding and and being able to change your mind is is totally fine and and the last thing i want to do is strive for the play experience to be closer to moto yeah. <laughs> sure I, I just mean like if i'm playing in a competitive level event and my opponent's playing sloppy like i played events where my opponent's being sloppy and I'm not saying they're cheating, but if you're playing this sloppy for this amount of time, you're either cheating or you're not good enough to win this game. <laughs> and I would like some amount of punishment to go along with that, whether it's in the rules or whether it's like you making a series of mistakes. Because like to some extent, if you make a mistake, you made a mistake. It's your fault. Please tighten up on the game. Not to say that the, your partner from GP Toronto is awful at magic. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, there should be, like, I put an effort to be good at this game. Some mistakes, right? Yeah. Like, that he did make a mistake, and uh, and yeah, I mean, in this case, the repercussion was nothing, like literally nothing. Um, but what you're arguing is that there should be, there should be, yeah, there should be consequences. 
and there weren't. And I kind of agree with you. Like, I think, um, like, I, I, like, their Wizards' intention has to be that they want the play experience to be positive. They don't want it super cutthroat, and and then every every competitive player just like just eyeing down their opponents. But um, yeah, but I mean, but with that said, like you said, yeah, like I mean, a card laid is a card played. Like you know, if you screw up, you screw up, and you shouldn't. Yeah, you shouldn't be. It shouldn't cater to the bad players. It should cater to the good players, the ones that play the the chromatic star, not the expedition map, even if it is just a a brain fart, right? Yeah, I know dexterity. Like that's a different argument, but uh, like if you just accidentally drop the right, like the wrong one. Um, but I mean, if you intentionally, if you played this thing and said like, "Oh wait, I wanted to play this one instead," like that's I, I don't know, but I don't know how you can differentiate. You know, like I don't know how a judge can really decide that. Like, hey, well, did you really want to play that one, or did you want to play this one? You know, this uh, this is a bad take to me. I, 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 don't, I don't I don't like this at all. So like. <laughs> I can't. I like you, the, their punishment is that they're going to lose more often because they're bad. Like if they, like you want them to get punished, you don't want to punish players or they won't come back. You like lit. So you, if they advance the game state to a point where the someone could have gained an advantage or like what their mind change was detrimental to the game and like let's say your opponent could have had a counter spell or something like that, they're not going to let you make change your mind in that kind of spot, and that's okay. It's okay to have these little lenient things happen. Sure, it's going to tilt you because you think they're playing sloppy, playing bad, and they should get punished for their mistake. But they are going to get punished in the long run by being bad or being worse than what you feel like you should win this game for God knows what reason because you feel like you're playing better. Okay. Uh, just, what, uh, sorry. I'll, I'll let you finish. No, you, you go ahead. It was basically, I'm going to Kanye West you. Basically, the other end of the argument is if I think one of my spells is going to get countered and I have two spells in my hand. Let's just say in this situation it's Expedition Map and Chromatic Star. If I play an Expedition Map and it resolves and I then say, oh, I meant for this to be a Chromatic Star and you don't counter the Expedition Map even though it may be in your favor to counter it, do I then try to hook you with the Chromatic Star even though I want the Chromatic Star to resolve? Because that, to me, is a, like a situational cheat where you can actually get advantage if one of them resolves and the other one does not. And so, therefore, that's fishing for information, right? And so, that's, how, that's one of the reasons why I don't like things like this. Is that's because cheating, sloppy, yeah. Yeah, sloppy play and cheating are like very close. And if we allow that gray line to be blurred, then people who are trying to cheat on purpose are just going to play sloppy. And then all of a sudden, you have a bunch of people leaning towards the sloppy lines and all these things instead of getting punished. You know what I mean? I think you got to You got to trust the judge's discretion and the judge's judgment on this. Like if you're going to play a game where they make the final rule on stuff, you just have to trust, trust the process there because otherwise you're just going to not be satisfied with whatever happens if it's not in your favor. In that exact scenario, Derek, what you're describing, if I play, if I go like play my map, uh, actually I'm going to play this. I haven't even given you a chance to really respond. And that's where the judges will offer the player to make whatever decision they would like and let them have the take back. But if I'm like, like map, look at you and you say, that's fine. And then I'm like, actually, I want to play the other thing. That's where the judge will not let you do it because that's where the advantage is gained. I do understand that these kind of things are, are the kind of things that can be abusable, but it's, 
overall, it's going to add more benefit to the game to to let people play this kind of way than it is going to hurt by the people cheating because those cheaters are going to get caught. The people who try to bend the rules will get caught as we've seen time and time again, and you have to trust that as much as it sucks because you know that this thing could potentially be abusable. As much as I agree with you that um, we should give the, the judgment up to the judges, um, to some extent, I don't want it to get that way. I would rather just it be straight line, no gray area. This is what happens. This is what happens. And that way people understand that, hey, if you make this mistake, there's punishment. Please play tighter next time. Although like that may deter the experience from some people, I think it actually does pre- prevent the other end of the spectrum of cheating or not having to worry about talking about takesies, backsies in a competitive level event in general anyways, right? But of course we don't live in a perfect world. Uh, I, I, I get that take. I truly do understand it as a competitive player, like wanting these kind of things to work the way that you're describing but sometimes you have to understand that the benefit of the game is not exactly what you or i directly want as competitive players we are such a small percentage even at these competitive level events us type of players are a super small percentage of the players in these kind of events even though they're labeled competitive and and i get it but i just think for the betterment of the game it's they got to do something that's not exactly for us Listen, all I want to say is I want the commander players out of my GPs, all right? No more sloppy play with your expedition map and chromatic star. Ugh. All right, Brian, uh, who won? What's, uh, what's the scorecard? Who won in that match? Yeah. Oh, my, my teammate crushed the guy. Just no, slammed. between these two guys. <laughs> oh, 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 okay, so I think, I think both of them had valid arguments, but... I don't know. I think, I mean, I think Derek is probably right. Like, can I get that clipped? Can I please get that clipped? <laughs> send it oh, to wait, Rob. Wait. Send that to Rob. No, no, oh, no. Okay, sorry. Who's, uh, maybe I screwed this up. Who's Derek and who's, uh. Oh, no. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so You're cut. You're cut from the show. All right, no more. Right is whoever had the opinion that magic shouldn't be such a cutthroat game. Yeah. You got the names wrong, my man. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Sucks to suck, Derek. Sucks to suck. Even when I'm right, I'm wrong. This is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, if you want people to keep playing Magic at, a, at any level, like, you, you don't want to foster this environment where if you, if you screw up, then you're dead and you, you get punished and blah, right? Um, yeah, you want to allow people to, if they just fumble and play the wrong thing, then that's fine. It's not a big deal. Yeah, like I'm, I'm trying to think of my own experience. Um, man, like Andy's making me change to, to his point a bit because, like, growing up when oh, I'm sorry, Derek, but growing up, like playing uh, chess really seriously, being one of the top rated uh, players for for my age, it wasn't like a big deal uh, because Canada is an exact Quebec. It's not like a crazy chess place. It wasn't that hard to, to be in the top 10 uh, rating list by grade. But in chess, you had this rule where if you touch the piece, you have to move it. And I think when I made the mistake, I never like, felt bad. Like I, I, I just owned up to it. Oh, like I have to move this piece and I have to uh, make a losing move. And, but players that go to these tournaments, like go with that competitive mindset. It's not the same thing as what Annie's talking about. There's a lot, a lot of these players that 
go to these events not with that type of uh expectation and i'm yeah so now i don't really know what to think because <laughs> like i really didn't feel bad like if i i touched the wrong piece if i play this piece i'm going to get checkmated but like i felt like you know i, I touched it it's, it's part of the rules and i didn't look at my opponent with sad puppy eyes and hoping i could take back which some of my opponents have done before where like they tapped one ability and they're like oh can i do this instead and they look at me and i'm like I, and many times I've, I've just said, I guess, like, uh, that's the type of person I am. Um, I know a lot of you are more cutthroat than me, but uh, wow. so, yeah. But in, in chess, I've never had anyone do that. Like, they're like, oh, crap, and, and they lose. And so that's the difference. A- Andy? Uh, I just wanted to, to touch on this, this kind of thing. So this kind of mindset happened to me because I changed my, like, entire view of magic. Because I used to be that guy. I I honestly used to be that guy who was the rules lawyer dick you told all your friends about. And I changed my mindset to the point where I want everyone to have a, like the good play experience, but I don't want the games to be tainted by like people doing this the shady stuff. Like I get the takesies backsies. If I don't feel like I gained advantage or my opponent got something from me by like telling me something and then saying something else, I will add a GP, I will just be like, Yeah, that's fine. Next time could you just uh play it cleaner or tell me when you're done and so that i've completely changed my mindset on it and i think it's because i I just i don't want to be that guy anymore and i don't want people to think of me that way because basically when i qualified for the the world magic cup uh, my house burned down and like a whole bunch of people came out for a huge charity magic tournament for me and at this point it, it made me realize that day i swear it was that day that moment where i realized that magic is so much bigger than just the competitive scene and it was on the the, the cusp of me qualifying for my first big event. And I think it's important that everything about magic has to be gearing towards letting magic grow. And that sometimes it's not in the best interest of the competitive players. And you have to understand that that's best for magic. And I think that players need to help facilitate that. The competitive players need to make these other players not feel like we're going to get them or we're trying to get them. Like, make sure that they play within the rules and make sure that uh, they don't steal an edge off of you by getting you with a couple, like, something that they've said. But at the same time, I think you have to make sure that you're not part of the problem with uh, the way people can view competitive Magic players. Final point there? Maybe this is a reneg on my statement, but um, I'm not trying to, like, cut people out of the game. If somebody ever, like, asks if I can take these backsies, I normally just call a judge, and I let the judge decide. Uh, I don't think it's within my, uh, my realm of understanding of the game to make that decision. Um, and if somebody, like, if, if it hinders their uh, choice, like, their experience of the game, like, I don't want to be the one that makes that decision, which is part of the reason why I think that the judges are there uh, to make those decisions for me. Um, and we talked about uh, this specific line of takes these backsies of the expedition map and the judge ruled in your partner's favor. And if the judge rules in your partner's favor, that's fine. That's the rules. And if they don't, that's fine. That's the rules. Um, do I want the rules to maybe change a bit? Yeah, sure. But like, if, if, if the rules are like that, the rules are like that. And I'm perfectly fine with that sort of thing going on. And I'd really like it if everybody played magic so I could play magic too. <laughs> I don't want to look like an asshole. <laughs> um, Brian, like you, 
you I pick one of your topics and you cut your own airtime on your debut episode by, by coming up with something that these two are extremely passionate about. Way to, way to go, Bri. Way it's to go, longer to say than I do. I don't know. I'm just, you know, smart um, guys. <laughs> We're going to wrap up uh, the topic. I don't know how excited these guys are about uh, Battle Bond, but are you? And, and let's just have your take on Battle Bond Me? as a release. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, I don't know. I think it's kind of exciting, right? I mean, I don't know how casual you guys actually are. Um, like, KYT, I, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know how casual you guys are at all, right? Because this is not really a competitive thing at all, right? There might be a couple cards that that kind of creep into, or I don't even think there's any cards that would creep into Legacy. <laughs> the set kind of sucks for stuff like that, but Two-Headed Giant is one of my favorite formats. That format is sweet. That format is so fun, and uh, and these cards just seem sweet for that. It seems sweet to, to just play Two-Headed Giant, and there's going to be lots of great Commander cards. Though, again, like, just roll your eyes at Commander, but uh, Commander's real. Commander's sweet. Um, so I think, I mean, I don't think it'll sell too well because I, I really think that like, <laughs> what, who's this set for? <laughs> <laughs> this, this set is for like nobody, right? This set is for, it's like conspiracy. Conspiracy is like, yeah, like who wanted to buy conspiracy? Like one dude wanted to buy a box of conspiracy so that him and his friends could draft. And then, yeah. And then he bought his box and they drafted and that's it. And period. Right. But for Battle Bond, it's the same sort of thing, right? Like, it's just one guy's going to buy it. Like, I'm going to get some cards from my EDH deck. But I, 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 and, and that's pretty much it, right? They're going to they're gonna buy it to two-hitter giant draft or play sealed or whatever. But it's not going to sell too, too well. With that said, like, the, the, a lot of the single cards in it, I think, are going to be great. And a true name nemesis gets a foil for all those legacy players. Um, I don't think it's that exciting of a set. But I, I do think that two-hitter giant is, like, just number one underrated format in magic it is so much fun it's like it's like team events but it's just with one other person and uh and yeah it's gonna not, be sweet not not a fan no i guys are way too no I, I, I played it before man where do you find these people <laughs> from the from the the not that bad i love two-headed giant <laughs> From the, from the casual I am every man yeah. you guys are like the one percent and i am the 99 defending oh no that might actually be true that might actually one percent no i think my last two headed giant experience wasn't that great just because i felt like it's it was too slow it, uh, maybe it was just a specific one that i played but if i'm playing this one i am optimistic about this particular set brian because of um you know my friend uh, Gavin Verhey is one of the the main guys behind this, and we're looking, we're seeing mechanics. I'm actually, I'm actually thinking this will be a positive experience. Yeah. Mechanics that are just geared completely for two at a giant, including partner, um, assists, stuff like that. I actually think this might, uh, they, this might do really well. Like, there's going to be preview events this upcoming weekend. There's also going to be um, the launch party next week. And I actually think people will enjoy the set um, a lot. Um, but but you wanted to talk about maybe your give your two cents on Arena Rector and, and the hype behind it. Yeah, Arena Rector. I think it's I don't know. It's a sweet card. Like I, I don't think it's good enough for any sort of constructed deck. But I mean, the ability to just like uh, I mean, Academy Rector is really really powerful. Um, and Arena Rector just being able to just get your get a Nicol Bolas or like an Ugin or a Karn or whatever. 
on turn four with like a sack outlet in formats like Commander, I think is the real deal. I think uh, I think a lot of people are going to be pretty hyped for that. And uh, and yeah, I think it's good. That card's sweet. And you guys right, just have no opinions, right? Like casual magic. What no, that? no, I, th- I think that card. I think that card is going to see legacy play. Uh, when it was spoiled, a lot of people were like, I can put this in Nick Fit, or I can put this into a random, whatever, like, Academy Rector gets played in Legacy 2, right? Like, the, the card is definitely good. Like you said, Nickel Bolas or Ugin or Karn, like, seems kind of busted to me. Uh, I'm not a Legacy player, but if I was, I'd definitely try to find a way to break that card. I think the problem is that, like, if you have it in your Legacy deck and your Legacy engine is trying to either show and tell, or, like, you're, you're playing this deck where you try to cheat some big thing into play, like, like, if, like, it takes a lot of setup for this to actually work, right? You need to have it in play, you need to sacrifice it, or you need to die in combat, and then you need to, like, your deck needs to be filled with these things that you can't really cast unless this thing, the specific action happens, right? This one creature is in play and then it dies, Right. Now, that's it. You can, like, sneak attack it into play, but then in that case, you should just be sneak attacking, like, an Emrakul into play, right? Like, and in Nick Fit, like, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, you should probably just be playing some other, like, better card. Um, like, it just seems a little too cute. So I don't think it's really good enough for Legacy, but, uh, but it's a sweet card. I don't know. People should like it. <laughs> it's <laughs> in the conversation. It's in the conversation. It's in the conversation, yeah. I remember uh, that other card that is very similar but does something else. Because <laughs> that I don't even know what it's called. Academy, <laughs> Rector, whatever. Yeah, I always call it Reactor, no matter what. But um, that card saw a bunch of play, like maybe eight years ago in in a <laughs> in a deck. And this card's better, right? I guess yeah, maybe. Ugin <laughs> is stone unkillable in Legacy. <laughs> Brian, sure. we're trying to give the positives to this set, and you're you're shooting down like the the competitive pluses here. Now. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, I mean, most Magic players, um, for every one competitive player, there's there's nine casual players, right? Like the formats that really drive Magic sales and Magic popularity in general is like Kitchen Top uh, stuff, like Commander. Um, just like these these casual formats, right? Not not so much standard and whatever. So I think I think Battle One can be successful because it really appeals to to that sort of stuff. The kitchen top players that wanna wanna oh, hey buddy, you wanna assist me in playing the spell? Yeah, here we go. Whoa. Like that sort of thing, right? Um, <laughs> now this podcast not might not necessarily uh, be all about that sort of stuff, but um, but yeah, I mean it, it can be successful, but like. I don't know. It's it's not for not for people like you guys. I don't think. I wonder if this gets Jay out of his shell, Jay Bush, because he likes stuff like plane chase and all, arch enemy, all this yeah. stuff that I, I've never played in my life. Uh, maybe maybe a few times. I did play. I did draft a bunch of conspiracy. I do want to mention to our listeners who are planning to play the set, which I think will act like I said. I think I'm pretty positive that the fun factor will be high. And talking to Gavin. Uh, there's a lot of people uh, putting out either sealed or draft events this upcoming weekend and the next weekend. Uh, but according to Gavin Verhey himself, this set was designed to be drafted. So I would just draft it. I would just play it as it was designed because I imagine that's the best experience. And uh, Brian's giving that a nod. Hell yeah. Play it. Why? 
Why? Why? Why? <laughs> Tunic Why Giant is the most underrated magic format. It's the nut. It's so much fun. Like you just play with your buddy. You can whisper to them like, "Hey, man, you should play your spell." And they just have all the lands in their hand, and you can like, you can just do all these stupid little mind games, right? Like you can do stuff like that, and it's it's fun to just like interact with more people. <laughs> it, I, I don't know. Like you just like, I just think it's fun. I played a lot of Tutor Giant in my day, and it's it's good times. Derek is uh, worried about double the takesies backsies, I'm sure. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, this is twice as likely. Right? We both screwed up. Yeah. Hey, should we call a judge or just ask our t- other two-headed giant opponents? Two, two are also judges show extremely up. Casual. You know, I'm sure there's like a, a takesies backsies loop in two-headed giant where you both just keep making mistakes you just fall into this loop of, oh, it's a casual format, take it back. Oh, it's a casual format, take it back. And everybody just takes it back and the game never progresses. And you just look at each other and you're just sort of like, you're so happy that you're playing a casual format. That you rewind the game back to like your mulligan. Like, yeah. turn 10, you're just like, man, I really shouldn't have kept that hand. Can we, can we just take you back to everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you could probably call over a judge. Like, yeah. uh, like, what happens when you have humility on board and this happens? Or like, what happens if I lightning bolt target my opponent, but like they have the new planeswalker rule? Can I take these backsies? It you know, like it's it's probably just so much fun hanging out with your buds, just talking about the mistakes you're making and taking them back. It is so much fun hanging out with your buds. Okay. Nothing like hanging out with your buds. <laughs> I'm like hanging out with your pals. I don't know, Berta. Yep. <laughs> This is great. This is great. Um, we don't have... Uh, I, I guess, Brian, yeah, what's the deck that you're going to expect last thing from you uh, for the PT? For the PT? Yeah, what um, are you expecting? I don't play too, too much standard, um, so I don't 100% know. Like, so I, I was listening to a little bit of you guys talk at the beginning of the show about standard. So, I, I mean, like... Uh, if I can kind of take a right turn from that a little bit, like I'm, I'm going to an RPTQ in a couple of weeks and you guys play a lot more standard than I do. So I kind of want to get your guys' input as to what I should play a little bit, but, but from the PT and maybe the PT will, will dictate that a lot. But I think at the PT, like, I mean, it, it's just the usual suspects. Like I think, uh, I think chain ruler decks, <laughs> like, I think it's this, this kind of this leveling, this arms race, right? Like, I mean, it's either you're playing like red black, um, or you're playing like mono red. Uh, like I don't know. Like I mean, you guys play a lot more standard than I do, so I, I have no idea what will be at the PT. But I mean, it's got to be some sort of combination <laughs> of, of of one of these aggro decks, like a blue white deck. I don't know, the snake. Okay. Like yeah, we we right, like. Brian's like, listen, I thought you guys were just going to ask me about two at a giant. Exactly. If hey, you play chain ruler two at a giant, it does two damage to your opponent. <laughs> there you go. I'm in. It's written on your list, Brian. I mean, uh, <laughs> I think uh, anyways, we're, we're not we're not expecting you to watch the pro tour. You're going to just play some battle bond this weekend, obviously. Yes. And. Um, you're saying it's underrated, but but I think like the trajectory will be like how people know you. Like, it starts underrated, and then you play a bit, and you realize like Two Headed Giant is actually vastly overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to be the uh, realization <laughs> of the peeps. No, no, no. So you're setting themselves up for for a Brian Jemba there. 
All right. I'm going to thank our first strike producers, uh, Jonathan Good, Kyle Smirchik, Jane Thomas Eaton, Sasha Papo, Derek Pite, Matthew Kelly, Adrian Murchison. Thanks for making all of this possible, everyone in the First Strike Nation. Um, again, people, I, I didn't mention this at the people, beginning of the show. Turbo uh, Vizier, people wanted a list. Andy was really happy to just put it in there in the nation, answer any questions about how the deck works, how he approached it, and how he did you know, his, his MTGO, his short-lived MTGO PTQ run. But uh, I would love, like, if I was playing it, Andy's obviously an awesome resource. Um, and uh, hoping to get back to second round of merch. And this time, making sure that they arrive for you, Andy and Derek. And uh, may- may- maybe Brian will get some. I don't know. I really don't know. Not yet. Uh, <laughs> The caps at this time, uh, the baseball caps will be available. And basically, I'm still in talks with them to lower down the shipping because they're ba- the company based in U.S. Uh, the shipping to Canada was a little ri- ridiculous. Um, alternatively, if I can't come up with a deal with them, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just order, um, have them shipped here instead, and then... Yeah, try to send it from here. Try, try to figure out where, where we can cut down costs overall. Um, with that said, if you like the episode, please hit us with a thumbs up. Please subscribe to us on any of the podcast apps that, that you have. And uh, reply to our Twitter account or YouTube Facebook page. Give give Brian Jemba's debut a rating from A to F. Like, up, <laughs> <laughs> up to you. Like, And feel free to rage if you if you felt he overhyped the battle bond this weekend after you play it at the release, anything from you guys, Brian, Brian, where can people find you? Are you going to be more active on the Twitter sphere now that you may or may not continue to be a first strike intern? Um, probably not. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> if people tweet at me, I'll respond, but ah, I don't got time for that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but if they want to follow me, they can follow me at MTG Brian Jamba. All right. And uh, for for, uh, Andy, Derek, uh, and myself, and Brian, we're going to see you uh, next week, next Monday. Um, Good luck to the Golden Knights tomorrow, and good luck to LeBron James. Hopefully he wins one single game, Andy. One single game. That's all we ask. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next time. 